these conversations almost never boil down to any discussion. Like you will not hear climate in these discussions, right? You might hear the word drought. You might hear the word locust uh, if you're in Kenya or Ethiopia these days. But you almost always uh, are thinking about this in terms of in terms of longer term, you know, productivity and ultimately income. And so, you know, they're they're more they're more likely to buy the same seed product as someone who has a nice house than someone who has made the best you know, climate resilience argument. Hello and welcome to The Evaluator, a podcast by the Independent Evaluation Unit, IEU, of the Green Climate Fund, GCF. I'm your host, Yanji Kim, Communications Officer at the IEU. The IEU aims to conduct evaluations that will help make the GCF faster, smarter, and better. We are committed to collecting and producing high-quality evidence to inform policymaking within the GCF and the broader international climate finance arena that translates into better outcomes on the climate action front. The Evaluator brings you compelling insights on cutting-edge topics related to evaluation, climate action, and development, featuring experts from across the globe as well as from within the IEU. Today's episode features Dr. Nathaniel Peterson, who is Vice President of the Busara Center for Behavioral Economics, which is headquartered in Nairobi, Kenya. The Busara Center is a research and advisory firm dedicated to advancing and applying behavioral science in the global south. In this podcast, Dr. Peterson discusses some interesting behavioral insights relating to a local crop insurance scheme which was rolled out in Malawi and Zambia. This study, commissioned by Agrofin Accelerate to the Busara Center, looked at a farmer referral system of Pula. Pula is an insurance and technology company that provides smallholder farmers with insurance bundled with inputs such as seeds and fertilizer, as well as farmer advisory services to help increase their yields and boost their income. First, a few words from Dr. Peterson about the case study in question. So why would buying this crop insurance make farmers more resilient to climate change? Uh, agriculture index insurance um, is, is an insurance that essentially creates these, these mostly geographic-based risk pools, right? So we have farmers that are all in a similar area, uh, so we know about what their, what their rainfall looks like. And it's critical to bringing resilience to smallholder farmers, right? They... <laughs> these, these farmers didn't create climate change. Uh, they're certainly suffering for it. And the way that we've approached this is that, you know, having, having insurance brought to them through the various inputs that they are, are acquiring is, is really critical to, to improve their livelihoods. So Pula, the company that we partnered with here, and we partnered with on a number of projects, including some very large projects with the Gates Foundation, they are an insure tech. So they, they kind of sit between the actual underwriter of the insurance and the smallholder farmer. And they really developed the products and partnerships to allow insurance to be brought to smallholder farmers where, you know, the margins on selling that insurance might not be there, or they might need to have other sorts of, of uh, kind of strategies for reaching the farmers, you know, partnering with, with seed and fertilizer companies, for example. And we're focusing here on referrals, uh, as you might imagine, because with, with smallholders, especially in countries that are not very, you know, population dense, the last mile is really, really expensive. And in fact, so expensive that it can eliminate the margins, right? So insurance becomes uh, something that you can't make money on. In fact, often make a loss on in, in these low density areas. So 
uh, referrals are a way to utilize those local networks to, to in, improve uptake. The referral system, it was new. It allowed farmers who were using a Pula insured maize seed. So uh, the, the insurance was bundled with an actual seed product. And basically what happened is that customers who were, were registered as buyers of this seed could just send a, send a text message um, or received a text message about the referral process and then they could either have their referrals processed, right? So if they had phone numbers to refer, they were processed via USSD menus uh, through their phone or through an actual call center with real live people. And the senders received a small airtime incentive and a discount voucher for seed if they were to do this. And um, the people who received uh, referrals and even outside parties could, could offer numbers. So they basically allowed anyone to enter referrals into the system. Briefly on the data used for this analysis, between October 14th and December 19th, 2018, some 115,000 referrals were initiated across Malawi and Zambia. And only 40% of these referrals could be delivered to the phone number provided. The Busara Center then drew an analysis sample consisting of 17,562 unique referrals. 85% of the referrals from Malawi and the remaining 15% from Zambia. When the Busara team looked at the referrals data, they discovered that only a small portion of referrals resulted in the actual purchases of Pula insured seeds. What were some of the factors contributing to higher insurance uptake? Well, it was the timing of when the referral messages were sent. Simply put, there were times when the farmers were more prone to act and make the desired decision than others. The timing of the referral was actually pretty important, right? So you, you think of being resilient to, to climate shocks as something that might be a more overarching part of the perspective of a farmer when they're thinking about risk mitigation. But in fact, as with all decisions, uh, there are times where we're more prone to act on things and, and actually take decisions to, to you know, mitigate risk in this case. So our recommendation here is that you know, we shouldn't be sending these SMSs at night, which is unfortunate because sometimes things are cheaper then, uh, and um, really to time them with the beginning of the rainy seasons. And we have noticed, of course, that smallholder farmers, you know, many times for cash flow reasons, usually wait um, until right before they're gonna plant to buy seeds. You know, there are storage issues, cash flow issues, lots of reasons for that. On the, the messaging, the referral messages um, could increase both knowledge and salience of the products. But of course, salience dissipates quickly over time. So the knowledge component remains, but you know, how fresh that is in someone's mind doesn't. And so um, we, we wanted to make sure that referral messages to the greatest extent possible were exactly when consumers were, were in the position, right? When the, just as they were seeing the rains come uh, and might be going out to buy seed during the daytime. We also realized that we needed to time the sales and product recommendations for a few days after the rain started when people were, were confident now that it was the right time to plant, especially uh, in Malawi. For instance, messages that arrived at night were slightly less likely to convert to sales. While Pula programmed the SMS to be sent at 9 a.m., on some occasions, messages were delivered much later because the farmers had the phone switched off or there was a lack of network signal. Also, Monday was a particularly good day for Zambia, 
as Monday is a market day across much of the country. So if the referral text message was sent on Monday, then the farmers in Zambia are likely to be in town for whatever purchases that they need from the market, and they are more likely to purchase the Pula-insured seed. Not only when the referrals were made mattered, but also who made the referrals. Dr. Peterson says a large-scale farmer, perceived by the local community as someone that can be trusted and successful, made the best referral agents. It is these large-scale farmers who actually purchased the Pula-insured seeds that contributed to turning referrals into sales significantly. The, the kind of takeaway here is that receivers were much more likely to convert to, to sales if they were receiving a referral from you know, a farmer that had kind of large scale and was perceived by the community to be doing well, which makes a lot of sense. So a trusted person in the network. So the source matters. Non-purchaser referrals. So people who um, you know, made, a, made the referral to this product but had never purchased themselves were, were much, much less likely to convert. Uh, and so, you know, whenever we try to, to do referral systems, um, it can end up with, with a lot of this stuff um, coming in that you then have to process. And it can actually even degrade the, the value of the brand, you know, if, if you have these random people, uh, you know, suggesting a product to you out of nowhere. That despite all these limitations, um, we realized that there were these really important large farmers who all of the neighbors paid attention to and that we should really be focusing almost all of our energy on ensuring that they understand the products and their benefits and are able to make really effective referrals and you know, get the social value, both in terms of providing something nice to their neighbors and in terms of being recognized for doing so, as well as possibly um, some financial incentive for doing that. Dr. Peterson also says getting the right incentive structure for higher conversion rates was important. Not only what types of incentives or rewards to be given, but also how much time to be given to claim such rewards and how these incentives were to be split between the referral agents and the people referred. These were all important considerations. So, you know, we thought of several different ways uh, of approaching this, right, with the idea that we'd assess the plausibility of implementing any of these strategies with the pool of field teams and, and ultimately come um, with a, a kind of multi-tier approach to, to improving their referral. So the first one was, was thinking about incentive structure. So the idea was that by re rewarding these high conversion, it will encourage more conversions, right? And, and also that we would put time limits possibly on referral responses. So we essentially just, you know, give people more incentive if they're, if the person they refer to actually purchased something. Uh, and in the literature, we know that the rule of reciprocity, you know, I give to you, you give to me, uh, can be used as a, as a great reward. And um, it, it was pretty effective, we later learned. And there's also the, the pressure of time constraints works in a number of domains. So we thought about either having a lottery where the quality referrers were, were kind of randomly selected and rewarded, uh, so that, you know, we kind of give them this, this additional incentive without getting to be too expensive. We thought about shifting incentives to the referred. So, you know, in typical referral systems, you give money or airtime, whatever it is, to the person who is, who is providing you with a new name. But the idea here was that if, especially if those farmers were already perceived to be, you know, kind of larger and wealthier, and they were maybe doing this as a social good because they wanted to improve the productivity 
and the climate resilience of their neighbors that you know we could actually help them do that by allowing that that incentive to either go to the person they were referring or to be split between them and again you know kind of time caps and and also thinking about stepping up the the incentives as people move to higher levels of conversion what's important to note here is that more often than not the topic of climate change or what we see as important keywords in the climate domain did not enter the insurance referrals or conversions conversations Getting the science right and having a good and thorough understanding about the climate benefits of the insurance scheme was not a major contributing factor for high uptake. Oftentimes when you talk to, talk, no offense to anyone on the call, but when you talk to climate scientists or other people who are experts, um, I work in agroforestry pretty extensively and, and talk to a lot of scientists in that space. And what you find is that uh, people are really focused on helping you know, if farmers could only understand the risks, they would take mitigation strategies. But it's not, it's not always as simple as that. And in, in some cases, you actually have to think about these kind of grassroots marketing campaigns really as the best way, right? You, you might have to ignore the greater principles or, or hope to communicate those over time and really focus on getting people, you know, these products in the first place. And so I think these conversations almost never boil down to any discussion. Like you will not hear climate in these discussions, right? You might hear the word drought. You might hear the word locust uh, if you're in Kenya or Ethiopia these days. But you almost always uh, are thinking about this in terms of in terms of longer term, you know, productivity and ultimately income. And so, you know, they're they're more they're more likely to buy the same seed product as someone who has a nice house than someone who has made the best you know, climate resilience argument. So how can this discussion about the right nudges, framing, and choice architecture be useful to climate practitioners and relevant organizations, including the GCF? Uh, the GCF should be really thoughtful about, you know, making sure that they're funding both companies who are doing this and also suites of companies, right? So we, we've seen a lot of platforms emerge that are providing you know, inputs and off-taking and extension services, education services to farmers, along with, you know, these kind of critically linked products like insurance. And I think that, um, you know, through work of a number of different parties, but especially in, in Sub-Saharan Africa and India and Southeast Asia, that we're seeing a lot of great learning about how these platforms should look. And I think the GCF should continue focusing on these kind of full information and product and service delivery suites that, that platforms can provide. Amazingly enough, we often find a lot of the uh, harnessing the intuitive knowledge of field agents, especially people who are doing this last mile distribution is, is really, really important. And so typically, if you just have an upscaling um, approach to kind of do like a, a small survey of the field agents and, and try to see if there are you know, some best practices or or hunches about maybe some barriers to the process that are, are embedded. And then to, to experiment with those is, is the most important part. But oftentimes, you know, after we can find these mechanisms, we have to assess them for the kind of plausibility of scale in the first place, often due to cost constraints. And, and due to kind of, we might have a big grant right now, but will this be a sustainable approach to the market going forward? You know, if we do something that's like a really intense nudge, right? Like we're, we're going out and talking to farmer, you know, farmer cooperatives for two hours about insurance, that's great. And it might drive uptake for a little while. But so there are all these trade-offs. I typically think that 
finding these, these relatively organic processes um, like referral systems and trying to optimize them with like very subtle changes in terms of who's being incentivized and how and how we're sharing information with the group are, are by far the most cost effective, even though they're not always the most powerful in terms of like a six month time frame. This talk, looking at the study of Pula referral system and what kind of behavioral insights we could draw from it, sounded very much like a marketing-related discussion. Any thoughts on this, Dr. Peterson? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know, I personally, you know, work with kind of a customer experience, customer journey company in Kenya myself, um, kind of, you know, in my spare time, in part because I think that they're much more on the cutting edge of, of you know, thinking about especially how we're doing digital communication with people. Um, and then we work with Busara itself, you know, will subcontract marketing research companies to go in and understand some of these communities, right? Because it's not always that we just want the response to their perception of risk, right? We might want to know, um, like the lighting density in that community, right? Because it'll tell us maybe something about distance to market that we couldn't measure very well otherwise. And so a lot of these market research companies actually have really, really rich data on the economic uh, infrastructure that's surrounding a farmer and allows them access to these risk mitigation strategies. So I think, honestly, if, if you don't understand the, bar the basic market research in, in communities, that um, it, it can be a challenge. And of course, the, the degree to which there, this information is available uh, varies about as widely as possible. In Kenya, we know almost everything about Kiambu County, for example, which is where I live. Uh, whereas, you know, in, in some of these places in rural Malawi, you know, some of, some of them haven't really had outsiders come into these communities for, for years. There you have it. For more details about the case study, please be sure to check out the paper done by the Busara Center for Behavioral Economics, titled Social Networks and Agricultural Insurance, Learning from the Pula Referral System. We will provide the link to this paper on our podcast page. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Evaluator by the Independent Evaluation Unit, IEU, of the Green Climate Fund, GCF. We'll be back with more insightful and interesting dialogues that matter for the evaluation and climate action communities. So stay tuned. Remember to tweet your thoughts about the show with the hashtag TheEvaluator. Do you have questions for Dr. Nathaniel Peterson? You can reach out to him and his colleagues on Twitter using the handle at Busara Center. We will also provide this Twitter handle on our podcast page. That's all for now. Signing off from the IEU headquarters in Songdo, Republic of Korea. Thank you for listening.